Welcome to this episode of Anesthesia on Air, the podcast from Royal College of Anesthetists. My name is Joyce Young. I am a consultant in anesthesia and crucial care, and I work in University Hospital Birmingham NHS Foundation Trust. I'm also a associate clinical professor at University of Warwick. And hi, um, my name's Shaman Janji. I'm a consultant in anaesthesia and critical care at the Royal Marsden NHS Trust and an honorary senior lecturer at the Institute of Cancer Research. Um, and today we're going to be talking um, about the VITAL trial, which is a trial of volatile versus intravenous anaesthesia in patients undergoing non-cardiac surgery. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to start with a background to the study and why we decided to do this trial. Um, Sham, do you want to take us through the background? Yeah, thank you, Joyce. Um, I mean, I guess our choice of anaesthetic, anaesthetic technique is fundamental to everything we do in the operating theatre. Um, through the beginning parts of my training, to be honest, I predominantly used um, gas or volatile anaesthesia for most of my um, anaesthetics. Um, but as training continued and the availability and usability of propofol um, became easier, I started to use intravenous anaesthesia a bit more. And I think that's what started to develop some of my interest in that. Um, when I joined the Royal Marsden as a consultant, I noticed that actually there was a higher proportion of people using um, propofol-based anaesthesia there. And um, obviously, I started to wonder why that was. Um, there's many views on this. Um, some people feel patients recover better following um, propofol-based anaesthesia compared to volatile. Um, but obviously, there's many people who think the opposite and just feel that perhaps um, in some cases, um, volatile patients having volatile anaesthesia recover better. Um, one of the areas we became particularly interested in at the Marsden um, as a cancer-specific hospital was on um, the difference in outcomes relating to surgery for cancer. Um, there was a lot of work going on, predominantly in the lab, um, looking at the differential effects of these anaesthetic agents on cancer biology. And this started to raise a hypothesis, um, sort of worldwide really, um, questioning whether one type of anaesthetic may be better than another for patients undergoing cancer surgery. Um, myself and one of my colleagues, uh, Tim Wigmore, um, conducted a large retrospective study of our patients at the Marsden, about 7,000 patients. And after propensity score matching, did find a difference in outcome um, associated with um, propofol anaesthesia compared to volatile, with longer term survival being improved with the use of propofol. Now, this data obviously is retrospective and open to many confounders. Uh, interestingly, seems to have been repeated in a few studies worldwide, but also um, similar studies have found no differences between these groups of anaesthetics. But certainly that's what initially, I think, started my real interest in this area. I guess as we started to look into it more, we realised there were perhaps other differential effects between these agents. Um, there's bits of data suggesting that patients uh, who receive volatile anaesthesia are less likely to develop infectious complications after surgery. Um, there's question marks about post-operative cognitive dysfunction. And certainly over the last few years, I think the environmental question has certainly come into play. Um, I think it's quite clear that volatile anaesthetic agents have a greater greenhouse gas effect um, than propofol. Obviously, propofol isn't a gas. Um, however, understanding the full env environmental impact of these agents, I think, is a little bit more complex. And understanding the whole life cycle of propofol, um, I think, probably needs a lot more work. 
around all of this, I think people have been changing their practice a little bit. Um, I think in the last national audit, approximately 90% of people used volatile anaesthesia and about 10% of people used um, intravenous anaesthesia. That was conducted in the mid-2010s, if I remember correctly. I think since then, perhaps the pendulum has been swinging somewhat, and we felt that um, this question was an important question, as it's the backbone of what we do in the operating theatre every day. So we decided it was very important to try and perform a pragmatic um, clinical randomised trial to look at this question, um, which is very important to our patients to look at their recovery after major surgery, but also I think is of great interest, interest to our clinical community. When we thought about setting up this trial, um, we looked at what infrastructure was available to us, and um, both of us have worked um, with the perioperative medicine clinical trials network based at the Royal College. And so I'm going to hand over to Joyce now to just explain a little of how we developed this trial with help from the POM CTN. Thanks, Sham. Yeah, so um, uh, you're, you're right, and there was quite a lot to the background to, to the study, but it all came about when POM-CTN um, or Perioperative Medicine Clinical Trials Network um, was coming together in a research sandpit day. We really wanted to come up with some top research questions that are uh, important to patients and to our clinical community, and also something that is fundable by our major funder, um, National Institute of Health and Care Research, NIHR. Um, and actually, this question about um, whether there is any benefit or indeed harm between the two type of general anaesthetic was one of our top research questions. And, um, and I was lucky enough to sort of uh, co-lead with Sham in the development of this uh, research question uh, in preparation for a grant funding. And I think we had a long discussion about how we go about answering this question. Obviously, the cancer research question or research question for cancer patients is very attractive um, and, and exciting. But we also feel that um, in terms of proving um, the credibility of UK anaesthesia research, um, I think for if we were going to focus on a trial that only recruited cancer patients, it's going to take us at least 15 to 20 years to finish following up the patients. And also, um, we thought that um, anaesthetic uh, or uh, a principle or a main uh, goal of being uh, anaesthetist is to get patients safely and quickly through surgery um, right through to the recovery. So we thought that we should focus on a more immediate recovery of patients to see whether there's any difference between the two um, uh, techniques of general anaesthetic um, to as our first POM-CTN-led trial. Um, we also had to think about um, in the day and age doing a randomised control trial is very expensive and takes a long time and a lot of effort. Although we've got very good clinical engagement from our community, we do have to make sure a trial of this magnitude is um, achievable and feasible. We've decided to partner up with PQIP, which is a perioperative quality improvement project. Hopefully um, uh, all of us are very familiar with this ongoing project. Um, which is already collecting lots of patient-focused outcome data from patients undergoing major non-cardiac surgery. So we applied for a specific um, uh, stream of funding called Data-Enabled Ambitious Clinical Trials. Um, the whole idea behind this is that we're going to partner with PQIP so that data is collected only once, um, and we're going to try to we then export the data from PQIP and do an embedded randomised control trial limiting research burden to both the research teams as well as patients. 
um, try to improve research efficiency as well as uh, saving costs. Um, so that's the um, the design idea of a vital study that we partner with PQIP. So for every patient that uh, goes in the vital, they also have to consent to participating in PQIP because we're using the very similar data points, um, completing the same data questionnaire, um, and, and all of their data is being held on the PQIP database. Um, the two arm of the study is comparing total intravenous anesthesia uh, compared to volatile anesthetic. And other than the maintenance of general anesthetic, we maintain um, a, a uh, we maintain that this is a pragmatic trial, and um, all other anesthetic care or surgical care would uh, continue as per routine. Um, so for Vital, it is a multi-center pragmatic randomized trial, and we aim to compare the clinical and cost effectiveness of TIVA versus inhalational anesthesia. And ultimately, what we want to do is to test whether TIVA is superior to inhalational anesthesia in terms of days alive at home at 30 days, which is um, short name DAH30, survival and quality recovery amongst patients undergoing major non-cardiac surgery. Our secondary objective is to evaluate the safety of TIVA, especially in terms of accidental awareness, and also assess the cost effectiveness of TIVA. Um, so in terms of eligibility, we wanted to include um, as many patients as possible. We also want this trial to be achievable by as many clinical teams around as many hospitals in UK as possible. So our eligibility criteria is broad. Um, we are focusing on the patient cohort who are at high risk of developing complications. So we are um, including patients aged 50 and over. They are undergoing elective major non-cardiac surgery with general anaesthetic. They have to agree to participate in PQIP and to be able to give their own informed consent. Obviously, we are not going to include those patients with known contraindications to either technique, um, and we're also not going to include patients undergoing palliative care procedures. And I also think it's interesting if we talk a little bit about days alive at home at 30 days after surgery, it is a relatively new outcome measure and probably not very familiar to everyone. Um, but it was an outcome that we developed um, in collaboration with our patient co-investigators co and, and patient and public involvement um, members. Um, because it is most important to a patient that they survive the surgery, but not only survive, but able to get home and get on with the rest of their lives following a major surgery. So days in alive at home will allow us to capture whether the patient has successfully completed surgery, um, remained well and alive, and then be able to return home within the first 30 days after surgery. And so it's a ideal um, composite measure, which also allow us to take into account um, those patients who develop complications, may need to stay longer in hospital or be readmitted to hospital. So um, this is the reason why we decided to go with days to live at home at 30 days after surgery. But because we are going to run a large trial, we should also be able to detect difference in mortality. Uh, we're going to fo uh, follow patients up for um, six months after surgery and also collect some healthcare resources and quality of life data as well in this patient cohort, which again is really important because there's a lack of data on what happens to patients after major surgery. Um, so, Sham, both you and I have been talking to sites a lot about this study and obviously opening sites. What do you think are the main challenges of running trials such as VITAL, um, especially in the post-COVID era? Yeah, thanks, Joyce. Um, 
I mean, I think overall, the experience has been really positive. Um, I mean, this is my first experience uh, as a chief investigator or co-chief investigator of a trial. Uh, I know, uh, luckily, you've had a little bit more experience, but, you know, it's been um, hard work um, making sure we have the trial as efficient um, and as easy for trial sites to run as possible. Um, but it's been, you know, it's been great fun. And I think with the support of the Warwick Clinical Trials Unit, I think we've had a great team working together um, alongside, you know, our other um, sort of clinical colleagues, um, Rupert Pierce, Ben Shelley, Ramani Munasinghe, who've really helped and advised us um, in developing the trial. So I think the first thing to say is I think the real positive of this has been um, this is a clinical question that I think across the country people are keen to answer. Um, so I think that's really been in our favour because I think in every hospital, there's probably proponents of one anaesthetic technique over another. Um, and whilst normally they may discuss it over a coffee, it's quite nice to have the opportunity to actually answer some of those questions that there hasn't been trial data for previously. So I think that's been fantastic. Um, I think post-COVID, interestingly, there's been two elements to it. I think the clinicians actually have been really keen to get back involved in research. Um, there were many of our colleagues were involved in COVID trials um, throughout um, the pandemic. Um, and I think to get back to research in their area of normal practice, I think um, has been a real positive for people. I think also that during the, the pandemic, a number of people who perhaps weren't involved in research before, um, because of the simplicity of some of the COVID trials, um, became more interested in research. Um, and so I think that's been a, a major plus point. I think one of the major difficulties post-COVID, however, has been the difficulty in terms of research infrastructure and research staff in and around all the hospitals. Um, I think in most hospitals, um, the R&D departments were working from home, um, had less access to hospitals, clinicians, and therefore I think actually getting trials through R&D has become very difficult, um, particularly early on in um, setting up the trial. Um, the number of staff in R&D was much less. Um, at the time, they were obviously prioritising pandemic studies and there were a number of studies still ongoing and um, both the R&D staff and the research nurse infrastructure was rightly so um, being used for the pandemic trials. But as we moved back towards normal, it just took a while before those nurses were redeployed back to their previous structures um, so we could start to perform um, our normal um, research. I mean, luckily, I think today actually things are, you know, pretty much back to normal. It's been a process. Um, it's obviously varied from area to area and hospital to hospital, uh, but everyone's been working really hard to help to try and get this trial going. So it's been a, you know, a really fantastic um, effort from all the hospitals, all the R&D departments um, to get this trial going. I think, um, as Joyce has already mentioned, the fact that we're partnered with PQIP has been a real advantage. Um, hospitals are used to PQIP and the, actually the research staff are very used to PQIP. So using that as our platform for collecting data um, has meant that because the staff are all, already familiar with that, um, that's been less of a barrier. So that's been a real bonus for us. Um, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen. I think. Um, numbers go up and down uh, every month every week with um so we're coming into winter again now so you know we're cautiously optimistic we can carry on recruiting as we are but we're gonna have to as with everyone see what happens as winter comes on 
I guess otherwise there's been a, uh, a slightly different challenge for us that was slightly unexpected at the beginning of the trial, um, although um, it has happened previously. Um, there seems to have been a shortage of Remy fentanyl um, throughout the country um, due to a supply issue. Now, obviously Remy fentanyl is not actually part of our trial. Our trial is a pragmatic trial comparing propofol-based anaesthesia versus volatile-based anaesthesia. Um, however, many people, uh, myself included, to be honest, uh, commonly use remifentanil um, when using propofol. So there has been a bit of learning, um, both I know myself within my institution, but across the country about how to use alternative opioid regimens um, alongside their um, anaesthetic agent being either propofol or volatile. You know, we've reached out to sites, we've discussed the use of alfentanil, fentanyl boluses, but as remifentanil could be used in either arm of the trial and actually was being used in either arm of the trial, it doesn't actually affect the trial specifically. So it's really about um, all our colleagues, um, comf uh, how comfortable they are um, with using propofol with other opioid regimens. I think it hasn't stopped recruitment. There's lots of sites still recruiting very heavily. Um, I think perhaps it slowed it in some centres. Uh, we're hopeful that by the end of the year, Remy Fentanyl will be back to normal usage. Um, and uh, we're hoping our recruitment graph will um, see a, a slight upward tick when that happens. Um, but certainly all the sites have been working really hard um, because in reality, um, as they have to provide anaesthesia for all their patients undergoing major surgery despite the Remy's fentanyl infusion. So we're needing to find solutions anyway. Um, and I guess that is you know uh, manifesting itself with people still being able to recruit into the trial um so but i think overall joyce i think you know there have been those challenges with covid and remy fentanyl but i think because the key point is i think this is an important clinical question that i think our colleagues are really interested in the answer mm. i think certainly on all the sort of site initiation visits and every time i speak to any of any colleague across the country um it's it's been a positive um discussion um, people are really keen to get involved um, perhaps I should hand over to you now uh, to sort of give us an update on progress on the trial, where we are um, and some of the positives so far. Thanks, Joyce. Yes, um, of, of course, and I completely agree. Um, I mean, we tried to, um, we talked about challenges, but actually um, it's been really exciting and humbling to talking to different people across the country, find out what's happening on the ground, but also finding a very keen interest to support the study um, and as you say, everything that we do is a reflection of the hard work, um, not just the trial team, but every single site has been contributing to our study. So a really big thank you go out to them. Um, so, yeah, we had some delays in the beginning, but we opened our study to patient recruitment in January 2022. Um, and the first six months of our pilot study and we successfully hit our target of recruitment and opening sites. Uh, and we entered our main phase of patient recruitment in July this year. Um, so far, um, as of sort of mid-October, we, we are partway through our main recruitment, uh, having recruited uh, more than 350 patients. We've opened half of our targeted number of sites required, and we are slightly ahead of our projected target recruitment. So um, as, as you just said, you know, it'll be great, you know, if we don't have remifental issues. Um, and um, I think, and, and also as, as sites get used to um, the logistical planning that's required with running a trial like VITAL or any pair of two medicine trials, actually, um, I think we are going to see a healthy recruitment. Um, 
and I guess the 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 most exciting thing for for me and I'm sure for you as well is that um, it will be really good to demonstrate what we could do in terms of uh, palliative medicine and um, anaesthesia trials in the UK. Um, there is exciting uh, development across uh, international research communities, and we've been asked to contribute to. Um, a, hopefully a independent patient data meta-analysis after we finish our trial together with our American colleagues and Australian colleagues who are um, also conducting very similar trials in this area. And hopefully we will then be able to know uh, once and for all um, what type of anesthetic is better, what type of general anesthetic is better for patients and outcomes um, and help improve uh, future patient care. Uh, thanks, Joyce. Um... It feels like we're coming to the end of this podcast, so I'd just like to mention a few ways of getting in touch. Um, Vital has a Twitter handle, so if you look for uh, Vital on Twitter, um, we're based at the Warwick Clinical Trials Unit. So again, if you want to search for Vital at the Warwick Clinical Trials Unit, you can find a website and contact details there. Um, and uh, please look up the POM CTN, um, the Peroptive Medicine Clinical Trials Network, which is based out of the Royal College of Anaesthetists. The, it runs many schemes, both for principal investigators and chief investigators, and it'd be great to increase our community of perioperative researchers across the UK. Thank you very much for listening. We really enjoyed talking to you about um, the VITAL trial, um, and thanks again to all the researchers across the UK are helping us with this trial, and thanks again. Thank you for listening to Anesthesia On Air from the Royal College of Anaesthetists. Make sure you don't miss out on the latest episodes by clicking subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you give us a review. It helps others find our podcast. If there is a topic you'd like us to cover or you'd like to feature in the podcast, please email podcast at rcoa.ac.uk. And finally, if you would like to access more podcasts as well as videos, e-learning, webinars and our program of events and courses you can find them all online at rcoa.ac.uk forward slash education we hope to see you again soon please note all views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and not those of the royal college of anaesthetists